In the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow redeemed, we continue with our series. I think I can say um, with relative certainty that next Sunday will be the last in the series. And, um, but let's go ahead and take a look at this one today. Remaining steadfast in evil days. Uh, we have many lies among us more so than in the past. And uh, these lies are so widespread that they are affecting not only society, being embraced not only by society, but also sometimes by churches and, and affecting the hearts and minds of Christians so that sometimes Christ himself is exiting those churches and the hearts and minds of Christians. So far we've looked at six helps that God's word provides for us so that we can remain steadfast. And today we look at the seventh help, a very, very important one, the gift and ability to love our neighbor. This is what we do as redeemed children of God. We love because he first loved us. He loved us by sending his son to redeem us. In view of this command to love, I want to answer three questions. The first one, you know, who are we to love? And that's kind of the easy one. Our, our neighbor, whoever God places before us. We're going to focus on two groups, though, in just a little bit. We're going to focus on our children that we are to love and then focus on those who have bought into or may be even promoting the lies that are so prevalent out there among us. The second question is, why are we to love others. And again, 1 John, we love because he first loved us. But let me clarify this by talking about two boats in which Christians find themselves, two boats. The first boat is the boat of humanity, a boat we share with all other human beings. And within this boat of humanity, there are several things that everyone shares in common. For one thing, everyone has, in this boat has been made in the image of God in the sense that every single person has a dignity, a sanctity, a value that is amazing regardless of whether he is a Christian. Well, the psalmist said, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You know, Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew's, Matthew 6, 10, and 12 that human beings have this value beyond any other thing that God has made, any other creature. We are set apart. Another thing we share, we all share in this boat of humanity, is our fallenness. We are equally sinful, desperately Sinful. No person, no ethnicity, sex, nationality, skin color, age group, income group, popularity group, status group is any more or less sinful or unclean by nature than any other. 
And one more thing, we all share in the boat of humanity is the way in which God loves us. He sent his only one and only son. Not for some, but for all. Not for the sins of some people, but for the sins, all sins of all people. Everyone's sins are forgiven by the cross of Christ, regardless of whether they receive him and his forgiveness. So that's the boat of humanity. But then there's a second boat, and this one is not shared by everyone. It is the boat of the church, or the boat of believers in Christ. A boat which we are in, not because of our own reason or strength, but because the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel, enlightened with his gifts, sanctifies us, and keeps us in the true faith. We are in this boat of believers, and others are not. But it is a boat that God wants, and we want, all others to be in. The Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. So you put this all together, and it becomes very clear why we are to love our neighbor no matter who he is. Again, we love because he first loved us just as we were. We Christians understand this. We understand that God shows his own love for us in this, St. Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Then there's the third question. And this is where it gets a little confusing and a little challenging. How are we to love our neighbor? Now we understand that we're not to physically harm anybody, we're to be kind and patient, we're to forgive, we're to help those people in need. We don't always do a great job, but we understand that this is what we are to do for, for one another. Uh, but in view of these evil days, I, I want to first of all focus on our children. And in this congregation, we can talk about our grandchildren because, you know, we're an older congregation. Parents are to provide for the physical and spiritual needs of their children. The church also provides for the spiritual needs of children. And providing for them spiritually means protecting them from spiritual dangers. In other words, protecting them from the lies of Satan. And it's not easy. For the lies are everywhere today and placed before them daily. Got some examples here. Apparently there's a a rainbow flag in every classroom or most every classroom in one of our schools sending a message. I was um, invited by one of our members to attend a, a uh, conference, so to speak, a Zoom conference at another one of our 
school district schools and it was entitled talking with your kids about LGBTQ plus topics and so I did attend online and I, and I listened you know the purpose of that meeting was to help parents affirm children their children their teenagers who identify as or are confused whether they are LGBTQ no other perspective was presented let alone allowed I mentioned to you before, a recent Gallup poll showed that 20% of those people who are between the ages of 19 and 26 identify now as LGBTQ. That's double from what it was 10 years ago. Now, what's not included in that 20%, and this is very important to understand, what's not included in that 20% are those who maybe don't identify as LGBTQ, but they say it's just fine if somebody wants to identify as that. In other words, in either case, whether they identify as that or they say it's okay to identify as that, both groups have bought into what is a lie, and that's dangerous. So we are in the midst of a huge identity crisis that perhaps has no precedent in all of history. And here's what we're up against. Every time the church or the family or one of our Christian schools teaches what is good and accurate and true about marriage and sex and gender and identity, teenagers today will receive, and this is not an exaggeration, a thousand social media messages that say or affirm just the opposite. A recent survey found that almost 60% of teenage girls experienced, quote, persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness in the past year. And I would say, well, of course. If these females are not affirmed in who they really are, if they are told they can decide who they are based on how they feel at any given adolescent moment, which is then reinforced by social media, by their peers who rely on the same godless authorities, by their schools. You know, what else should we expect? So, so here's the thing. To love our children, to protect them, means to be with them to teach them the word of God, to teach them this is true and this is false, a lie. It means when they ask us why we believe what we believe, to be prepared to give a defense of our Christian worldview. But to love them not only means keeping them safe, it also means helping them and encouraging them to be brave and courageous when they have to take a stand. We do that by bringing them to church, of course, but also by putting before them the example of Christ himself. The writer of Hebrews says, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We also consider them to be brave by pointing them to the example of others. Paul said, Brothers, join together in imitating me and in paying attention to those who are walking according to the pattern we gave you. And we also encourage our children and grandchildren to be courageous by modeling courage ourselves. Opposing error standing up for the truth when we can and ought to. If our children don't see us do that, if they don't know that we do that, our children could easily conclude that those lies are not that big of a deal. Last week I talked about those 120 people who signed a petition against the display for young children, promoting with pictures, terrible pictures, the LGBTQ lifestyle and ideology at our village library. <clears throat> you know, those people who signed that, they were, they were displaying love for their children. And yet two of them decided, hey, we're gonna run for the library board. <laughs> Why? So they could encourage a, a more virtuous understanding of, of marriage. Of course, it's not the only way to, to love children, but it is very commendable. And, uh, you know, they will probably pay a price for their standing up to love their children. And parents often do. And these days, sometimes parents get canceled or they get ridiculed or they get even fired, but that's okay. In fact, we are told that this is something to rejoice in, knowing that we are sharing in the sufferings of Christ while communicating to our children, here I stand, and I want you to stand here too. So we need to love our children. For the forces arrayed against them, the lies of Satan are very real and very dangerous to their baptismal covenant. And remember, it pays off. In Proverbs we read, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So there is a great beauty and a great joy within families and children who are so trained. And if, if we've fallen short, we rest in Christ's forgiveness. And we continue to pray for God's mercy upon us and our children. But let's talk now about how to love our neighbors who have bought into or are even promoting a lie of some sort. How do we love them? 
address this from several angles. You know, let's suppose we come across a teenage boy who believes he is a girl, and he's being verbally or physically abused by a group of boys. What do we do? Well, we stop it if we can. If he is being attacked physically, we have the right to physically protect him. We do so because this boy who thinks he is a girl is made in the image of God, no less than we are. He is a fallen creature, no more than we are. And he is one for whom Christ died, no less than us. We do not affirm his beliefs or identity, but we love him in that way. So here's another angle. You are in a situation where you are being asked to affirm, in the sense of approve of or consider normal or ethically valid. You are being asked to affirm a person's transgenderism. Maybe you are being asked to use his chosen pronouns. He wants to be called she and her when in fact he is a he and him. How does Christian love play into this scenario? Well, a simple way to approach this is to ask, is he a female? And the answer is no. That is not true. For whatever reason, he's confused. He finds himself in a lie. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. From beginning to end, we are one or the other. Biology and physiology confirm this. Common sense teaches this. Okay, then the next question is, is this. Is it okay for me to say it is not a lie when God's word says it is a lie? Can I do this with a clear conscience? Or ask the question this way. When am I allowed to contradict God? to go against his word. Here's the thing to remember as a Christian. Christian love is always tied to truth. You cannot love without truth, which we're being asked to do these days. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So, what do you do in this situation? Well, first, it's not necessarily wrong to avoid responding to the request. You don't have to come out and say, this is a lie. Silence is an option. But you do have to remember that you cannot live by a lie. You cannot, by your words or actions, say or give the impression that something is good 
or healthy or to be celebrated or to rejoice in when it is contrary to the way God created us. Let's suppose you have no choice and you are being asked to affirm that which you cannot affirm. You know, you can simply say, I cannot do that and let the chips fall where they may. But here's something you must always do. Something that will set you apart as a Christian. As you are fearing and loving and trusting God above all things, above the word of man and above the lives of Satan. The Apostle Peter says that your defense, your answer, is to be done with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. I may have given you this example before, but I'll give it again because it kind of illustrates what I'm talking about here. It was a year ago now. I... We called on the phone here, a young lady asked if we could help her uh, with a stay in a hotel. She was apparently homeless. I'm always hesitant to do that, but I went and met with her in the public foyer there, and I told the person behind the desk, I'm out here with this young lady in the public foyer, so you can just see. And, and so she was about 19, 20 years old, and the first thing she said to me was, I am transgender. And most people don't know how to respond to that. She saw who I was. I was wearing my clerical collar. And I I knew I only had about an hour at the most, maybe. So I said to her, well, I know how to respond. Would you mind if I share with you some things? She said, fine. So to summarize what I said to her, I said, first of all, I want you to know you are made in the image of God. You have this great value just because you are made in the image of God. Second, I want you to know that you are not male, you are not transgender, you you are female, and that's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And then I said to her, but you are you are fallen. You are fallen like the rest of us, just like me. You are not identifying correctly, and you have sin. And then I said to her, and let me share with you something that's really, really important. I said to her, there was this man, Jesus, and he went around making all these claims about himself, including to be God in human flesh, and he performed all these miracles to verify his claims. And then he, he dies, and then three days later, he's, he's, he's raised from the dead. And it's this resurrection, especially, that proves that he is exactly who he claimed to be. And I said, but let's go backwards now. Let's go back t- to his death. Here he is, the Son of God. Why in the world would the Son of God die this horrible death? And I said to her, because sin is very real, sin is very serious, your sin is very real, your sin is very serious. But that death also says your sins are really forgiven. 
here's what you need to do with this message. She wasn't offended at our talk. Gent I tried to display gentleness and respect throughout this talk. Now, if there would have been more than her there, if there would have been a group there, it's very possible I would have been, uh, had a more difficult time. But she was very attentive and very interested. I've tried to contact her several times, only had success once, and still pray for her. Sorry about the time here, but um, I'll try to do this quickly. One more angle to approach this from. We have to remember that those people who have bought into cultural Marxism, the LGBTQ lifestyle or ideology, are made in the image of God like us, are fallen like us, that Christ died for them just like he died for us, but they're living in this worldview this religion that is false, that's divorced from truth and reality. And, and that means it's very possible that their foundation that they're living on will someday collapse and just fall apart. And we see this taking place, especially with those in the transgender mentality. They're, they're kind of waking up and saying, this, this is not right. Well, it would sure be nice at that point if there was somebody there who could love them in the way they need to be loved and point them to Christ and his death and his resurrection for them. Christ who says to them, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But even if their lives do not fall apart, we still love them. We give them a cup of water. We befriend them in ways we can. We invite them to church. We have them over for a meal because you just never know. And this is what we do as Christians. I have numerous examples, but we'll forego those for now. But this is a great gift and ability given to us to love our neighbor. It is a gift and ability we have only because it was first displayed and lived out and applied to us fully and freely in the Son of God and his cross for us. For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.